We're in Colossians chapter 1 this morning, Colossians chapter 1, and we are continuing on here and looking at verses 24 through 29 this morning. Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29, as we continue to look at uh, this epistle, this letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians from prison, remember? Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. Colossians 1, 24 through 29. If you found your place, if you would stand with me and follow along as I read these verses. Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. Verse 24, Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. 25, of which I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. 26, even the mystery which hath been hidden from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. 27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 28. Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. 29. For this I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We do thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege that we have to to look into your word this morning. We pray that we might have open uh, minds, open ears to what your spirit has uh, to tell us here this morning. We pray that we would be listening. We thank you for the privilege that we have to, to, to study this and to uh, uh, apply this to our lives today. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Paul, don't forget, was in prison, uh, and basically he looks like what we would call today a felon. He looks like a felon. Uh, He's been in prison for at least three years up to this point. And uh, if, if you were against the Apostle Paul, do you think that you would use that fact to, uh, to go against him? Well, of course we would. I know I would. And I believe that the, the Gnostics and the false teachers in Colossae did as well. They would probably say something to the effect of, well, why listen to a guy who's so far away and he's in Caesar's prison uh, when you can listen, listen to and follow a, a nice guy like me who's right in front of you and, and everyone, everybody likes me and so forth. Well, it would be much easier to follow me than it would be to, this, to follow this guy named Paul. And this is, that's a realistic uh, picture of what the Apostle Paul faced. How would, how would you and I react if we, were, if we found ourselves in prison for our faith in Christ? How would we react? It would be very difficult, I think, for most of us. Most of us would be probably at least very discouraged, if not ready to give up our faith just to gain our freedom. 
But Paul was not like that. In fact, he's just the opposite. Everything that he, that he knows, uh, and he knows all these things beyond a shadow of a doubt, because he has served the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and he knows that the information that he is, that he is sharing with everyone is what everyone needed to know, no matter what the devil or what the false teachers, what the world would throw up uh, in front of him to try to get him to shut up. And so we need to take, uh, take note of this because I, I truly think that uh, just as we've seen here with this uh, uh, COVID-19 stuff and, and shutting down churches and, and churches being threatened with uh, imprisonment, being threatened with uh, fines and so forth, uh, obviously our church didn't have thousands and thousands and, and, and so and all that kind of money. What if, what if somebody came to us and said, we're going to fine you $1,000 a day until you shut down your church? Uh, we might think we might want to shut down pretty quick because we don't have $1,000 a day uh, to go very far. Uh, it, you know, maybe a, a mega church has a little bit more money, but of course they have a lot more expenses too. When, when, when you have one pastor uh, compared to uh, maybe five or I don't know how many pastors the, some of these mega churches have uh, that, you know, and nothing against pastors, but pastors cost. Uh, and, and that's just that, that's just a fact. Uh, the biggest cost of a church that is not in a building program is the pastor. That's just the facts. And I'm not trying to build up or tear down pastors. It's, that's just the way it is, we know. And, and then you got missionaries and things like this that many, that most churches will uh, promote and so forth and support. And so here it is. What would we be doing if somebody came along and threatened us? It's a very difficult situation that people find themselves in right still today and maybe it's going to get worse which I think it is I don't think things are going to get better I think things are going to get worse before they ever get better and so we're here with that back with that uh, background on the Apostle Paul and now he is uh, getting ready to tell them some more information that they needed to know and it's very good information for us to know as well here in verse 24, Paul is rejoicing over persecution. Boy, that's a, isn't that a strange thing to say? Rejoicing over persecution. He's rejoicing over that. And that's what he's doing here. He says in verse 24, Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. He was suffering for these Gentile believers. He's talking to these Colossian believers. He says, for my sufferings for you. He's talking to the Colossian believers who were basically Gentiles. And uh, uh, don't forget the Apostle Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. And he knew that God had sent him to the Gentiles to preach to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, the Apostle Paul preached to anybody who would listen. Gentile, Jew, it didn't matter. But then Paul, uh, as we know, according to the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul was arrested in, in Jerusalem. 
Uh, it's in, in uh, Acts chapter 22 and, and around that, that, that area that he was arrested in Jerusalem. And remember, they drug him up. The soldiers came to, to rescue him because they didn't know what was going on. And there was a big crowd, and they're all beating the Apostle Paul. And the soldiers, these Roman soldiers, came and they kind of rescued him. And they get ready to take him into a building. And when he gets to the top of the steps, uh, he says, can, can I say a few things to the crowd here? And the guy says, sure, go ahead. Well, then he begins to speak in Hebrew. The Apostle Paul knew Hebrew. Uh, I, I didn't go on and, and do much into seminary. I got my Bible college degree and didn't go on into seminary because I didn't want to have to learn Hebrew. <laughs> and I knew if I go into seminary, they're going to make me learn Hebrew. And Greek was hard enough. And I didn't think I could handle Hebrew too much, but, but I didn't have time anyway. I was done with school and I was glad to be done. I had my, my bachelor's degree and I was pretty happy with that. But anyway, the Apostle Paul, he, he grew up speaking Hebrew. He knew how to speak it. And of course, talking to Jews, the Jews, well, when he started speaking Hebrew, boy, they just really listened up good. They were listening close. And then he was given his spiel about what God had been doing. And then he got to the part where God was sending him to the Gentiles. And when they heard the word Gentiles, the Jewish crowd went bonkers. They, went, they were going ballistic. And they wanted nothing to do with the Apostle Paul. And so they were done listening. But the Apostle Paul was suffering for these Gentile believers. And not only was He suffering for them, He was also suffering for Jesus Christ. It goes on and He says, And fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for His body's sake, which is the church. The word afflictions here is never used of the sufferings of Jesus on the cross. The Apostle Paul and anyone else, no one else, not even the Apostle Paul, could add to the suffering that Christ experienced while on the cross there for us. You see, when Christ was on the cross, He suffered for our salvation, and He suffered all of the afflictions for us while on the cross. He paid for all of our sin. Every single thing that we've ever done wrong, Jesus Christ suffered for all of that. That's why when Jesus was uh, on the cross, He said the words, It is finished. Meaning, paid in full. 100%. Our sin debt was paid. Every single bit of it. Remember, Jesus Christ was the sinless Lamb of God, and He suffered and paid the penalty for our sin there on the cross. And so Paul here, though, in his service for Jesus Christ, he saw it as an honor to suffer for Jesus Christ, just like the other apostles did uh, there in the book of Acts. I'm going to turn back to the book of Acts, chapter 5, and read, read some verses here, a couple verses, 40 and 41. Acts chapter 5, verses 40 and 41. This is the apostles as well, the tw uh, 11, 12 apostles at the beginning 
of the, of the uh, time that uh, after Jesus has been crucified and risen and gone back to heaven and the church has begun. And it says in verse 40, and, and to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Verse 41, And they departed, meaning the apostles, from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. You see, the early apostles did that. The apostle Paul rejoiced for the fact that, they, that he was suffering for the Lord Jesus Christ. He thought that it was an honor to suffer for Jesus Christ. Peter also gives some insight into that as well into 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter 4 verses 14 through 16. Listen to this. 1 Peter 4:14. 4, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. That word happy here is the same Greek word that's used in the book of Matthew for the beatitudes where he says blessed are the poor in spirit and so forth. It's happy, blessed. You see, we are happy, we are blessed if we are reproached for the name of Christ. For the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part He is evil spoken of, but on your part He is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet, if any man suffer for, as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. You see, all the apostles realized that it was an honor to suffer for Jesus Christ. All of them, including the Apostle Paul, had that attitude. So the Apostle Paul, he suffered for these Gentile believers. He suffered for Christ. And it says here that he was suffering for the church, the body of Christ. He says that he was suffering, which is behind in, of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. The body of Christ is the church. Paul had originally persecuted the church, but now his life was devoted to serving the church. So Paul was rejoicing over the persecution that he experienced on behalf of all these people. Paul also had a responsibility to the people. It says there in verse 25, Of which I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. See, Paul had a responsibility, and he was made a minister. And I mentioned last week, we saw that same word in verse 23. It's the word for servant. It means a servant. Paul could have spared himself a lot of grief, a lot of suffering, a lot of persecution, if he had just stopped preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But God put Paul into this position as a servant. He didn't put himself into that position. God put him into that position as a servant. And so he was made a servant. 
He was also given a stewardship. There in verse 25, it says, according to the dispensation of God. This word dispensation simply means stewardship or economy. The, the Greek word is, oiko, let me see if I can get this right here, oikonomia. And it's where we get our Greek, our English word economy. It was God's stewardship that, that made Paul a servant. The very purpose for which Paul was given was to, uh, was to preach the Word of God here. He says there at the end of verse 25, to fulfill the Word of God. And of course, we today, as a church that follows the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a purpose as well to preach the Word of God, to preach the Gospel, so that we might be an encouragement to believers and try to win the lost. That is our purpose still today, to preach the Word of God. Paul had a mystery that was given to him here in verse 26. He had a mystery revealed to him. Even the mystery which hath been hidden from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. A mystery. This is a, a biblical mystery. It's not a mystery like what we might watch on TV or a mystery like we might read in a book. Those are a different kind of mystery. Uh, I know when I was a, a teenager growing up, uh, my, my bedroom was in the basement. My, my dad had fixed up the basement, and uh, so my bedroom was in the basement, and I enjoyed that because I was kind of away from the rest of the family, and I could uh, just kind of be down there and be all by myself, and that was good. Uh, but in, in my bedroom, since it was big, and it was half of the, half of the basement, was also a little uh, office-like that my dad had down there. As he was the pastor of a church, he had a desk and he had some books. And on the bookshelves were many of his uh, books that he used for studying and preaching. But also we had a book down there that was a book of, uh, a book of mysteries uh, of Sherlock Holmes. It had all the Sherlock Holmes mysteries in there. And, and I always thought that they were just really big. Uh, Sherlock Holmes mysteries were all big because, you know, when I watched TV, I used to watch the black and white Sherlock Holmes movies on, on Sunday afternoon. And uh, I thought those were good. And I figured, well, that's a whole book that they're trying to show there in two hours. But it wasn't. It was just chapters, basically. And so I started reading those Sherlock Holmes mysteries, and I got hooked on those, and I really liked them. But that's not the kind of mystery that Paul is talking about. He's talking about a biblical mystery. A biblical mystery is a mystery that was hidden, something that was hidden in the past, and it's now revealed in New Testament times by the Holy Spirit. And it says something very similar to this in the book of Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3 beginning in verse 2. And it's talking about a dispensation here as well. Ephesians 2, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 2. 
If ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me toward you, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote before in few words, by which when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. You see, basically what he's saying is, is that in the old days, in the Old Testament times, God had not revealed certain things that he was going to reveal during the New Testament times. And basically, what it, it covers is the church. As you look in the Old Testament, we really don't find the church mentioned. It's just all about Israel. But then when we get to the New Testament, all of a sudden, here's the church. Starts in the book of Acts. Well, here's the church. And we got all this stuff going on with all these churches. All these churches are popping up all over the place. And the Apostle Paul goes to this place, goes to this town and this town. And what does he do? Well, he starts a church. And he wasn't the only one starting churches, but he started most of them. And the thing is, the churches aren't, aren't mentioned in the Old Testament. And so these Jewish people are thinking, well, you shouldn't have a church. It's not in the Old Testament. Of course, they didn't call it the Old Testament. They just called it the Scriptures. There was no church mentioned in the Scriptures. And so the Apostle Paul comes along and says, it was a mystery. It was not revealed in the Old Testament. It is something new that it's been revealed by the Holy Spirit to the apostles and prophets. And basically it has to do with the church. And, and then there's little individual mysteries that have to do with things in the church. And this is one of those. It says there in verse 26, the mystery which hath been hidden from ages and from generations, meaning past ages and past generations, is now made manifest to His saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of, of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so the mystery was Christ living inside of you Christians. So the p bigger picture is that the mystery is the, is the church, but Paul speaks now of this one individual part of that mystery, which is that Jesus Christ indwells every believer. Now we know from from other parts of Scripture, from the New Testament, that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We learn that from the Gospel of John, that the Holy Spirit would come and live inside of us. And we know at the very moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. But here, Paul says that Jesus Christ also lives inside of you. Once you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. And here the Apostle Paul says that Jesus Christ lives in you as well, the hope of glory. And so that's a, that's a, a, a wonderful thing that we have that the Old Testament made no mention of that Jesus Christ would come and live inside of Christians. And don't forget, 
These Christians here in Colossae, they were Gentile Christians. They weren't Jewish people. They didn't grow up with the Old Testament. They were Gentiles. They had probably been idol worshipers before coming to know Jesus Christ as Savior. And so, Jesus Christ came and lived inside of all believers, Jewish and Gentile believers, when they trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. There's many other verses that talk about this that we don't have time for. But you notice what Paul calls it here. He thinks this is so wonderful. He calls this the riches of the glory of this mystery. This is riches, treasure. And that's what he looked at as Christ living in us is that spiritually it's like saying, you Gentiles that have come to faith in Christ, God has made you millionaires because it's like you're a millionaire spiritually because Jesus Christ is living inside of you. And that's what He has, that's what it is for us as well still today. And it doesn't matter if you're young or old, male or female, white or black, rich or poor, Jew or Gentile, none of that matters. Jesus Christ lives in you at the very moment of your salvation. Then Paul goes on to get, tell his revealing purpose here in verse 28. Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul preached. He preached Christ. He preached the Word of God. This was his focus. He didn't preach himself. He didn't preach his opinions. He didn't preach entertaining stories. He preached Jesus Christ. He simply preached the things that he had received. And then he told them to others. And that's what he says. Remember back in 1 Corinthians 15? 1 Corinthians 15, this is the resurrection chapter. But at the very beginning of that chapter, he says this, in verses 3 and 4, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. See, He simply says, I preach to you what I have received. Whether... whether you guys or anyone else, Suzanne has heard me preach obviously more than anyone. I've been her pastor now for, for years and years. And sorry to say, she's had to listen to me all these times. But whether anyone else thinks this, what I think has been my best sermons have been the things that I have learned as I have studied the Word of God and God has taught me things and I, it, was, it was things that I'd never thought of before or maybe had never thought in that way before. And then I was able to bring them and share them with the congregation that I was preaching to. Those have been to me my best 
sermons. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He says, these things that God has taught me, those are the things that I taught to you, that I preached to you. And that was his purpose. And notice in his preaching, though, that he sometimes had to warn people. Sometimes he had to warn people. And preaching does include giving the negative aspect of warning. Sometimes the Word of God is very clear in giving a warning. And so it's obviously, that's what I have to preach. If the Word of God says, warn people about this, then guess what I do? Sometimes we have to do that. It's not necessarily something that I like to do, but it's something that is necessary to do. The false teachers of the Gnostics in that first century that the Apostle Paul uh, had to deal with, he's warning the church in Colossae. Don't follow them. Don't listen to them. And he's already made several points just in this first chapter that we've looked at of warning them against these false teachers. And we have false teachers still today, and some of the things that the Gnostics taught, these false teachers the Gnostics taught, are still being taught today. And guess what? We have to warn people not to listen to those kind of things. And so the thing is, when those Gnostics came along, they had their, their extra-biblical uh, sources and their, their extra-biblical authority. And they said that everything that they came up with was just as, just as important as what the Bible said. And we still have people, false teachers, who are doing the same thing. When we get away from God's Word and we start using other people's information or... Uh, there's there's uh, uh, these cults that have their own book and my mother and I think I've told you this before my mother grew up in a home that uh, they were Mormons and she had a book of Mormon on our bookshelves because it had been given to her as a little girl and guess what the book of Mormon is it's an extra biblical authority in other words, and what do, the, what do the Mormons do when they say, well, the Book of Mormon says this, and the Bible says something different. Guess which one that they agree with? Well, they agree with the Book of Mormon. And so their authority is just as important, if not more important, than the Bible. We cannot do that. The Bible is our sole authority. What the Bible says is what goes. It's not what I think. It's not what you think. It's not what anyone else thinks. It's what God's Word says. And so sometimes we have to warn people. And then it says, teaching every man in all wisdom. And so preaching includes warning. Preaching includes teaching. Uh, and so this would be the positive side of preaching. Uh, and the book of Colossians has done some of that. Remember, we've looked at how the Lord Jesus is the Creator. That's here in Colossians chapter 1. The Lord Jesus is truly God. Colossians chapter 1. We've looked at redemption. We've talked about reconciliation. We've just talked about the mystery of Christ and the church. 
These are all positive things that the Apostle Paul has taught them and that we have learned as well just in this first chapter of the book of Colossians. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture. Let's talk about Old Testament, New Testament. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Those four areas, and I have this written in my Bible. I think I maybe have mentioned this before. Those four areas are the things that we preach on. The Word of God is profitable for doctrine. That's what is right. It's profitable for reproof. What is not right. Profitable for correction. That's how to get right. Profitable for instruction in righteousness. That's how to stay right. That's the areas that the Bible talks about and that we as preachers then, we need to be preaching those same kind of things. And that's what the Apostle Paul did as well. And not only did he preach these things, the reason that he preached them, he says there in verse 28, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. He wanted everyone to be presented perfect in Christ Jesus. This doesn't mean perfect as in, well, I've grown as a Christian and now I'm a perfect Christian. It's not what he's talking about. The word perfect here simply means mature. That we have grown up and we have matured. That we are mature believers in Jesus Christ. And of course, this presenting every man perfect in Christ Jesus, this is going to take place at the judgment seat of Christ when Christians will give an account for what they have or have not done for Jesus Christ since becoming a Christian. So Paul seems to be setting the record straight here. The Greek word for, for perfect is teleos. And this was a word that was used by the false teachers to indicate someone who had been fully initiated into their extra spiritual teachings. But what does Paul say? He didn't say that just some of you will be perfect. He says that I can present every man, every Christian, perfect in Christ Jesus. And of course, it all comes by the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God. And then he talks about his power here in verse 29 as we finish up. Look at Paul's real power. Verse 29, For this I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Paul says, first of all, that he worked. He worked hard. That word labor simply means that he was working hard. And then it talks about him striving. Striking is the Greek word agonizomai, which is where we get our English word agony. And it was used in athletics as the athlete was competing with an opponent for a prize. 
And so Paul was laboring and he was striving. He was agonizing as he was trying to win the prize. That was what Paul was doing. But look what the Lord was doing. He says, I also labor, striving according to His working, which worketh in me mightily. So Paul was working and the Lord was working. Paul used three words here to describe what the Lord's part in all this was. He used that, the word working and, and worketh are two similar words, and they just simply mean uh, to uh, actively work efficiently. The third word there, that last word here in our passage in the King James is mightily. And this is the Greek word dunamis, which is where we get our English word dynamite. You see, God works in us in a mighty and powerful way, like dynamite. And so that's what God does in us. And you see, it's Paul working and God working. And according to 1 Corinthians 3, 9, it says, For we are laborers together with God. We are co-laborers with God. And so we need to be working because we know God will be working as well. As we kind of finish this up here this morning, we need to be, let's think about some of these things. Do we rejoice over the suffering that we have experienced for Christ? And here in the United States, sometimes we even have to ask, ask ourselves, have I suffered for Jesus Christ? Because we have it really pretty easy. We have it pretty easy. We have the freedom, according to our Constitution and Bill of Rights, we have the freedom to come together as a church and to worship how we see best. We have the freedom to do that. Now, we know that they've told us to stop every once in a while because of COVID, and basically people have because of the fact that we want to try to keep each other safe. But we, know, we see now that they are putting some restrictions on that, and it's no longer because it's safe, it's because of, we told you to do it, so you do it. And so things have changed. But generally speaking, we have the freedom, we know, in our country to assemble and worship, as we believe God has given us instruction to do. And we have the freedom to read our Bibles. And, and most of us probably even have a, the Bible on our phone, don't we? Most of us do. And uh, some of you maybe have it so that it reads it to you. And that's a, that's a neat thing. Uh, and so we, we have all these privileges that we can do all kinds of things as Christians today. We don't have to suffer very much for Christ. If somebody calls us a name for being a Christian, wow, that really hurt my feelings. And it can hurt our feelings. But that's not hardly suffering for Christ. It's not like we're threatened with being thrown in jail. It's not like we have a gun to our head that says, you recant from Jesus Christ or I'm going to shoot you. We don't have that today. Other Christians in other countries do have that. 
We don't know what suffering means here. I think we are maybe getting closer to the point where we are going to find out what it means to suffer for Jesus Christ here in the United States. I think we're getting closer to that time. And so, when that time comes, will we rejoice over that? Will we rejoice like the Apostle Paul who's been thrown in prison? And their prisons, remember, were not like our prisons today where you get three square meals. It might not be the best meal. It might not be like mom made or like grandma made. But it was still a, it's still a meal. And you have all the TV you can want. You can go out and play basketball. You can lift weights. You can do this. You can do that. You can go to school. Many uh, of those people in, in prison go to school. And they, they get all their doctoring that's done for them. Uh, they get all these things. All these benefits. That wasn't what the Apostle Paul was living through. If he got food, guess where it came from? Somebody had to bring it to him from outside the prison. If he got food. If nobody brought him anything, guess what he got? That's what he got, nothing. And so, we can see here that what the Apostle Paul was rejoicing over is nothing like what we understand here in the United States. So, we need to look at our life. Will we be ready to rejoice over suffering? But we also realize we do have a responsibility to get the message out that Jesus Christ has died so that people can have salvation and that those who have salvation, that we can grow in our faith. We need to preach Christ like the Apostle Paul did. And we must work hard. We should work hard like the Apostle Paul did to share the gospel, to serve others, because we know that God is working and He's looking for co-laborers. He's looking for co-laborers. And that's what we can be involved in as well today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You so much for what You've done for us. <clears throat> We thank You for our Savior, that He did come and die for us, that He did come and shed His blood, that we might have salvation. As He died there on the cross, shedding His blood, paying the penalty for our sin. Lord, we pray that, uh, that we might see our place where we can share the Gospel, where we can work hard to, uh, to win the lost, to encourage one another, to serve one another. I pray that you'd help us to do that. We thank you for each one here. We pray your blessing now as we go from this place and that you might be glorified in all that we say and do. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.